Great man, if we, if we caught you doing something crazy and just threw your picture up on the screen so everybody could see, wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, get this, wouldn't it even be more awesome if we threw what you're thinking and what's going on in your mind up on the big screen for everybody to see? Now tell me, how scary would that be? Huh? That'd be scary. Well, Jesus tells a parable, and that's what I'm doing this summer. I'm looking at parables, specifically in the Gospel of Luke. He tells a parable about two men who went to church, right? This is a story about two guys going to church, or at least the temple in Jerusalem. Little did they know that their actions and their attitudes were going to be thrown up on heaven's big screen for everyone, including us, to see. And I want you to notice something from the very beginning. Jesus told scores of parables. That was his main teaching tool. He didn't have flannel graphs back then. So he would tell parables of an earthly story about, about it, that had a heavenly meaning. It was a life story. But most of his parables was about something or about someone. This parable today in Luke chapter 18 is different because it is to someone. He tells this to someone. So let me read it. Luke chapter 18 is our parable. Two guys going to church. It begins in verse number 9. Are you there? I think we got it right here. Let's look at this. Also, he spoke this parable to some people. I don't know if it was two people or ten people or twenty people or a hundred people, but he spoke it to some people who did two things. Number one, they trusted themselves that they were righteous. So they were trusting in their own self-righteousness. And number two, they despised others. So do you get that picture? He's telling this parable to some people who, number one, trusted in their own righteousness, and because of that, they looked down on everybody else. Did you know that those two go together? When you have self-pride and you're trusting in your own righteousness to get you into heaven, automatically you will despise others. And here's the story he told. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a scumbag. <laughs> he was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus with himself, or some translations say he prayed about himself. And that's the point because it's all about him. Here's what he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and, and Lord, and, and even like that scumbag, that tax collector back there. I fast twice a week, and I pay a tithe on all of my income, on everything I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off in the back in the shadows, would not so much as lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his chest, and he cried out to God, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you... This man, the, the man who beat his chest and cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This scumbag, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, who was the religious Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
And he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us from your word today. As I try to speak it on the outside, would your Holy Spirit speak it into our hearts. Help us to become humble. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Look at me. Jesus was getting in their business right here. Jesus was getting into their grill. This is very personal. This tells us that Jesus knows exactly what is going on in the human heart and in the human mind when we approach him in prayer and in worship. And don't think you can escape this complete knowledge of God. Because when you walked in this room today, God knew what was on your heart. God knew what was going on in your mind. You see, yes, God sees the outward expressions we make. He sees what we do with our hands. He hears the words that we speak with our mouth. But more than that, God knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And those are key when we approach God. Our hearts, our minds, what we're thinking about. The only way we can receive the blessings and the mercy and the grace of God is by approaching God correctly. So Jesus is giving instruction to his followers about the proper way we approach God, about the proper way in which we come to church. Now listen to me, guys. You can't just come to church any old way you decide to and properly worship God. You don't get to make those rules up. God has already established this. This is the only way you're going to receive forgiveness, mercy, and grace is when you approach God in this way. And what is that way? Well, three things. Number one, we need to have the proper outlook in our worship. Verse number 10 says, Two men went to church that day. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. So right here, we're introduced to these two men, all right? These two different guys, one a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Let's break it down. Let's get to know these guys. You want to, don't you? Come on. Let's get to know these fellas, all right? The first was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were one of three main religious groups in Jesus' day. The two others were the Sadducees and also the Essenes. Think of them as political parties within the Jewish religion. The Pharisees were the most popular of the day. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself was a Pharisee. The name Pharisee means separated. And that's what they did. They separated themselves from everyone else. They favored strict obedience to the letter of the law of Moses. They were very careful to cross every T and to dot every I. But here's the crazy thing. Underneath all of that legalism, they were, many of them at least, were very lax in their morality. Okay, So I'm going to step back and I want you to see the big picture here. Here are people who are religious legalists. They obey the very letter of the law. They are very strict in their discipline to act religious. Yet, on the other side, they have become lax in their morality. They're not actually fleshing out and living what they say they believe. You know what that is? It's a hypocrite. And Jesus 
big time, calls them out for their hypocrisy. One thing Jesus did in the gospel, he called it like it was. Okay? And Jesus was not afraid to do that. He was not afraid to get down into their business. And if Jesus despised one thing, it was religious hypocrisy. And he called it like it was. For example, this is what he would say to these Pharisees. You are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. You're like a cup that is clean on the outside but filthy on the inside. He would say, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed sepulchers. That, that's a tomb, okay? And in Jesus' day, they were very faithful to go out and whitewash or paint white the tombs that dead bodies were laid in. Jesus said, you Pharisees are hypocrites. You're like these whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Man, that, that's powerful, isn't it? Jesus just called it like it was. But that was the Pharisee. One of the characters in Jesus' story is a Pharisee. Notice how he prays. Verse 11. Here's his prayer. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself. Again, some translations say thus with himself, but it's all about himself. Here's what he said. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or, or even like that scumbag tax collector in the back of the room. Church, the truth of the matter is that according to the standard of outward religiosity, this man was actually truthful when he said, I'm not like other men. Because he wasn't. He was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were scrupulous in their adherence to the law. They were rigorous in keeping Jewish ritual. They were meticulous in honoring every religious tra tradition. They were zealous in keeping the faith. So he wasn't like most other people. He thought of himself a step above. In fact, he went on in verse two or in 12 and described himself even further. He said, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. Now, for normal Jews, they were required to keep one fast day per year. It was the day of atonement. Okay? They just had to fast one day a year. But Pharisees fasted almost every week. And if you are a really good Pharisee, you would fast two times a week or, or three times a week. This guy fasted twice a week. A normal Jew was required to pay a tithe, which is a tenth of your income, on all of their produce that they harvested in the field. And that's all they were required to pay a tithe on. But the Pharisees paid a tithe on all of their income, no matter where it came from. They paid a tithe on everything. And that's what this guy is saying. So when he says, I thank you that I am not like other men, he was telling the truth. There were very few like him. In fact, if you were in that temple that day, and this Pharisee was there. You, you'd, I mean, if you were a churchgoer, you'd kind of look up to this guy, say, that right there is the epitome of religiosity. He was a goody-two-shoes. I mean, outwardly, he was doing everything like you were supposed to do it. That was one character. The second character is the tax collector. I want you to notice the outlook of this guy. 
His story's in verse 13. Now, tax collectors were Jews as well, but they were at the other end of the social spectrum from the Pharisees. <laughs> and, let, and let me try to explain what I meant by this. The Romans ruled Palestine in those days, and they required a tax from every Jew. And so they would hire a Jewish middleman to collect the taxes from the Jewish citizens. And it would be a pre-described amount that each one would have to pay. For example, if Ron back there owed, let's say, 500 denarii on his taxes, a fellow Jew would charge Ron the 500 denarii that he would pay the Roman officials, but he would tack on to it, let's say, another 150 and charge Ron 650 denarii. And Ron knows all along all his taxes are 500. And this scumbag is charging me another 150. And he's putting it in his pocket. And you'd get a little upset, wouldn't you, Ron? You'd say, Sandy, go take care of that guy. <laughs> so they were hated by their fellow Jews. They were looked upon as scumbags. They were despised. Notice how this tax collector prayed in Jesus's story though. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He was in the back of the room. He, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. Instead he was beating his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Now church, I, I want us to be real careful at this point in my sermon. This story is not about making this Pharisee into a villain, nor is it about making the tax collector who was a crook into the hero. Okay? That's not what Jesus is doing here. The point here is not the moral stature of either one of these men. No, the point of this parable is their spiritual attitude as they went into the house of God and approached God. Because let me tell you this, there are people who are religious who are lost. There are people who act churchy that are lost. There are people who come to church and act the part, but they are lost. Why? Because they are trusting in their own self-righteousness to get themselves into heaven. So there are religious people who can be lost, and there are rebellious people who are lost. And the point here, both of these men are lost. Whether they're of the world or of the church, they were both lost. Now, here's the difference in the outlooks. The Pharisee was very haughty in his outlook, he had his spiritual nose in the air, and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that scumbag over there. Did, did you know that no matter where you are, you can always find somebody that you're better than? Okay? So don't let that be your standard. He was haughty in his outlook. The tax collector, on the other hand, was humble in his outlook. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is the proper outlook that opens the door into the presence of Almighty God, a humble spirit. Number two, let's talk about the true object of worship. Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain here and lets us see the prayers and the worship of these two men. And the question I want to ask you as we look at this is this, who is the object and the focus of their prayer and their worship. 
Who is the object? Who is the focus of their prayer and worship? Well, before we answer that, let me ask you another question to be thinking about. When you come into this room, who is the object of your prayer and your worship? Uh, let's see how these guys stack up. First, there is the Pharisee's approach to God. Notice how he stands. Verse 11 says, he stood up. And I can only imagine he stood up front and center because he wanted to be the center of attention. He wanted all eyes on him as he stood there in his self-righteousness. Notice number two, what he says. Now, he mentions the name of God. That's the first word out of his lips. But it isn't long before God is completely out of the picture. In verse 11, it says that he prayed about himself. Note, the next time you say a prayer, listen to your own prayer. Is your prayer about you or is it about God? Because all his prayer was, was about himself. And then number three, notice what he sees. He turns his eyes off of God and puts his eyes on himself. In his prayer, the word I continually pops up. In fact, I counted five eyes in two verses. Five eyes in just a few words. And there you have the object of this man's praying in this man's worship. It was himself. It was all about him. It was all about I. Me. Did you know that I is the middle letter in the word pride? <laughs> and I is also the middle letter in the word sin. And to build himself up even further, he looked around the room to find someone who was inferior to himself. And as his eyes scanned the temple worshipers, he focused in on this tax collector. And he looks down on him. Now, guys, I've read this parable dozens of times this past week preparing this message. And, and, and I've thought to myself, how, how does God feel... How does it make God feel when I come into this room, this church house, Kavanaugh Church, and I look at somebody else in here and I look down on them? And, and don't sit there thinking, God forbid I would never, I would never do that. Chances are you do it every Sunday you walk in here. In some way... We all do that. How, how does it make God feel when we look down on somebody else who has come in here to worship? How, how does that make God feel? I'm kind of getting in your grill a little bit, aren't I? It's because I love you. But then I got to thinking to myself and wondering, you know, why in the world would our eyes be on anybody else anyway when we come in here? Why would our eyes be on us, or why would our eyes be on someone else? Because let me tell you, when we come in here, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's, it's not about you. It's all about God. And so the only place our eyes really should be when we come into this place is on God. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Second, let's, let's look at this tax collector's approach to God. 
Notice how he stands. Verse 13, he stood at a distance. I, I, again, I try to imagine this whole picture. I'm seeing this guy back in the very corner in the shadows. He, he, he's not front center. He's, he's as far back as he can get. And, and, and it just cries humility. He, he doesn't feel worthy. He knows he needs to pray. He knows he needs a relationship with God. But he just doesn't feel worthy. So he's, he's lingering there in the back. He stood at a distance. And in my own Baptistic way, I've tried to justify why many of you sit in the back. It's because you want to be like this guy. That's supposed to be funny. <laughs> All right, let's go on then, right? Notice how he stands, but number two, notice what he sees. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He kept his eyes down on the ground. There again, humility is written all over this. Notice what he does. He beat his breast. He beat his chest. This was an ancient sign of contrition and grief. He was beating himself up over the mess that his life was in. And then number four, notice what he says. God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what he prayed. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Say that with me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And by the way, in the original text, it is not God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is more literally God. Have mercy on me, the sinner. He didn't consider himself a sinner. He said, I am the sinner. I am the chief of all sinners. If there is anybody in this room who needs forgiveness, God, it's me. So Lord, have mercy on me. By the way, the word sinner means someone who misses something. Literally, someone who misses the mark. They, they miss the target. It's like failing at something. And from a biblical perspective, it means to fail at living up to God's standards and God's holiness. And you know what? All of us have failed. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, me, and everybody else. In fact, I told the people in the first service, and, and I think it would apply here, you can gather up all the self-righteousness that all of us have, all of our good deeds, all of our self-righteousness. You gather all of that up, and it is not enough to send a single one of us to heaven. Why? Because we've all sinned, and we all fall short of God's glory. If in your praying and worship, your eyes are on yourself, and that's all you're seeing is yourself, then again, you might have reason to be proud because you can always find somebody who is worse off than you are. But if your eyes are on God, you cannot escape the reality that He is God and He is holy, and we are not. So there's the proper outlook for approaching God. There is the true object in approaching God. The last thing I want you to see is the ultimate outcome in worship. You see, all of this goes back to verse number 9. Because Jesus spoke this parable to some people, some specific people. To some who were confident in their own self-righteousness. And they looked down on everybody else. 
Now, anytime you read a passage like this, you need to read it in the shadow of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. We are reading this verse looking back on the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. And as we read this passage through the eyes of the cross, how do we understand it? And I think we understand it like this. If I have confidence in my own righteousness, let me say it like this. If I am trusting in the righteous deeds of Will Harmon and Will Harmon alone to get me into heaven, it means I really don't understand anything about God's righteousness. And that applies to you. If you are counting on your righteousness alone, you know diddly squat about righteousness. Because the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. Not a single one of us. But in spite of that, you know what? People still try to depend upon and establish their own righteousness. And I, and I wonder, why, why do we do that? Why do we do some of the silly things that we do? And I, and I think this all goes back to the fact that we're trying to retain something of our own self-worth. Because if my righteousness is what it takes to impress God and get me into heaven, then I still have a little bit of control and I have some independence and I think I can do this by myself, to which we can't. But if I am clinging to my own righteousness to, to make me right with God, then I miss the whole point of the cross. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, that is God the Father made his son Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, that is in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And guys, that's how, I know that's some pretty deep theology right there, but that's how it works. God made Jesus, who was sinless, to become sin for us. When he was hanging on Calvary's cross, your sins were placed upon him. My sins were placed upon him. He died for the sins of all people. God placed our sin upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become righteous. So that in him we might know the righteousness of God. The only righteousness that is recognized in heaven is the righteousness of God revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus would say to the tax collector, I tell you this, that this man, rather than the other man, went home justified before God. You know what that means? That means the tax collector went home forgiven. <laughs> he experienced a little bit of grace that day. He found the mercy of God. On the other hand, the Pharisee went home condemned. Now, I've said all that to get to the point. You want the point? Here's the point of this parable. Jesus is rebuking those who are confident in their own self-righteousness. I mean, he's already told us that in verse 9. 
There were some people out there who were confident in their own self-righteousness. That's why he told this story. This is the point of the story. Jesus is condemning those who are confident in their own self-righteousness and those who, number two, look down on everybody else. And I said it at the beginning. I'll say it now at the end. Those two things go hand in hand. If you are prideful in your own self-righteousness, you are going to look down on other people. To look down on somebody else means that I am judgmental. You like that word? Does that word describe you? Judgmental? When we think we're better or more important than others, we are critical towards them and we judge them. But it also means that we're selfish. It basically says, I am the most important person around here. And my needs, listen to this, my needs are the only needs that really matter. It also means that I'm independent. To look down on someone else means that I am better than you are. And you know what? I don't need you. And when I act in a judgmental, a selfish, and independent way, it shows that I do not, listen to this, I do not understand the gospel, nor do I understand God's righteousness. The gospel teaches us that every one of us is a sinner. And every one of us is in need of God's mercy. Every one of us. Let me say it like this. The cross of Jesus Christ levels the playing field. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what your self-righteousness looks like. To God, it looks like filthy rags. So it doesn't matter if you're acting the part and being religious or if you're a scumbag sinner. You know what? The need is still the same. You both need forgiveness. You both need mercy. So I don't have the right to look down on anybody else. And, you know what, thank God, when we approach him humbly, we receive mercy. When we act like this tax collector, and we come into the house of God and we humble ourselves and we honestly say, Lord, if anybody in this room needs forgiveness, Lord, it's me. Lord, please have mercy on me. Lord, please forgive me. And when we come in here with that attitude, you know what? God hears us. And God honors that. And God provides mercy. And when I realize how much mercy I need, and when I see how much mercy God gives me, let me tell you what, it changes my focus. And I, look, I don't look down on anybody then. The only way I see people then is the way God sees people. That person needs the mercy of God. You know what? It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. It doesn't matter how they're talking. They need Jesus. And when I, when I get to the point where I lift up my spiritual nose and I think, I'm glad I don't act like, I'm glad I ain't that person. What's that person doing in our church? Let me tell you, when we start acting that way as a church, what's that person doing in our church? We don't even need to exist anymore. You hear what I'm saying? Now, guys, let me tell you, I want you to grow up as a mature believer. I want you to make sure that you're in heaven, okay? I love you guys, and I want you to go to heaven. But you know what? I want this church to grow too. 
I want us to reach people for the kingdom of God, and I want us to see people saved. And the way we do that is by loving people, not judging people. It ain't your job to judge. It's God's job to judge. It's our job to love. And if we have received that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness, we should be willing to share that with other people and love that on other people and bring them to Jesus Christ just like we were brought to Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to this verse again, verse 14. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other man, the religious Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Make no mistake about it. You, you think you're it right now? You think, you, you think you're going to do it on your own self-righteousness? You're wrong. The Bible says one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 6, James said the same thing. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and God's going to lift you up. Glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you know, I'm almost done, so listen. Did you know that water always flows down to the lowest place? Think about that. Think about your yard. You know, I live on, on kind of a little hill, and so everything kind of flows off that hill from the back to the front. But I've, I've got a couple low places in my yard, and I know that when it rains, the water, water's going to drift down, and it's going to gather in that low place. That's, that's the way it, it does. I've lived there 22 years. There are some places in my yard that, are, that have turned into little canals or ruts because the water always flows through there, and it goes to the low place. That's the way it works. The water flows to the what? The low place. That is exactly the way God's grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness is. It flows to the low place. You know what that means? When you get low, <laughs> let, me, let me do it over here because when, when we get low, when we come down here and we do this and we get down. I remember the story about the, the two little boys we're on the front row in the center of the town. The town drunk came into church one day, and at the end of the invitation, he, he came down and he knelt at the altar, and he, he was kneeling just like I'm kneeling. Can you see? On one knee, the other leg up. He was like this, praying there. And one little kid looked over at his buddy and said, he ain't getting saved today. And the other buddy said, well, how do you know? He said, well, look, he's only on one knee. <laughs> anyway. When I totally humble myself, and when I get as low as I can get, and when I say, God, I'm the sinner. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I need your grace, and I need your mercy. You know what happens? It flows down. The grace of God flows down from heaven. His mercy flows down. His power flows down. And it changes us. When that happens, let me tell you, we get up and we don't see like we used to see. All the self-righteousness, all the ego, all the pride, all the judgment. God's washed all that away. And we see people as souls who need God for all eternity. Lord, I pray that.